0: We come now to look at the book of Jeremiah. And our sermon today is about Jeremiah as God's messenger. And you may or may not have realized this, but back in ancient times there were no mobile phones, no email. Uh, it's pretty hard to get a message across if you needed to. In ancient times, though, people would use messengers and they were very important. It was not a job you would just give to anyone. In fact, messengers were so revered and so important that even some of the Greek and Roman gods were the messenger gods, like Hermes or uh, Mercury. Uh, the idea is that they're important, but so much so that they kind of have their own god who looks after them. And the idea of the messenger being an important figure is sort of something we've lost because we send messages to each other all the time. Phones, emails, SMS messages, whatever the case might be. It's pretty easy now to get a message across. Anyone can use the internet to get their own message out there into the world. But sending a message was something much more significant in the Old Testament time. And so God has chosen Jeremiah in today's passage to be his messenger, and he doesn't do it lightly because it's an important job. God knows who he's choosing, and he knows why he's chosen Jeremiah, and the reason is because, as we're going to see, uh, Jeremiah is a significant figure as basically the last of the prophets before Israel or Judah go off into exile. So we're going to see today, God exalts, because that is what Jeremiah's name means, And what that means for Jeremiah himself and for the people of God. We're going to see Jeremiah's role as God's messenger and the message that he had to give. So let's pray and look at this together. Dear God, we pray that you will help us hear your word today. Thank you, Lord, for Jeremiah and for his message. Thanks for choosing him to be your messenger. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to us today and that we may live as your people heeding your word, living in obedience and faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our first point, God exalts, and that's because Jeremiah's name means just that. The idea is that God is the one who raises people up and puts them down again. There's this sovereignty of God at work even in Jeremiah's name. Before we get into anything else that we hear about what God does or says, this is our starting point. The reason I think Jeremiah is given such a name is because it is a reminder to him of who God is, his power, his sovereignty, his rule over all people everywhere, uh, exalting some, lowering and humbling others, And Jeremiah is often called the prophet of woe or the weeping prophet, and we're going to see more of why that may be in time. But I think it's also a reminder to Jeremiah that if it hasn't been your day, your week, or even your year, you can still have God and he will be there for you. God exalts. He's the one who will lift you up if you're having a bad day, and it may not be Something your friends can do for you. It may not be something you can do for yourself, but it is something God can do and will do. And it's a good reminder for Jeremiah because in the days in which he lived, things were pretty bad. And that's no understatement. Uh, he had basically ministered for about 40 years across a whole bunch of these different kings. Uh, But we find out a little about Jeremiah himself in the opening three verses. Uh, Take a look at verses 1 to 3 and you'll see that Jeremiah comes from the kingdom of Judah. And that's the southern kingdom centered around Jerusalem, uh, the north-south split of God's people, the whole mess of that involved. Uh, Now the northern tribes have all gone off. They've been destroyed or sent away into exile. All that's left is this pretty insignificant little chunk of territory around Jerusalem. But he doesn't live in Jerusalem, although he is a priest. It seems as though he has a nice little country house somewhere about five kilometers out of town. So if Jerusalem was Griffith, then Jeremiah lives in Bilbangra or Bilbul, somewhere like that. The word of the Lord first comes to him in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. So we can date this to 620 BC. And Josiah was a pretty good king. He organized renovations to the temple uh, in which they found the book of the law, the Old Testament, the the scroll that was hidden away somewhere in the temple. And, And as they're doing repairs, they find it. And it was like this incredible discovery because nobody's read it in so long and they've completely forgotten about it, which goes to show perhaps the state of the society that he was in was caused by their ignoring of everything God told them. But all good things must come to an end, and although Jeremiah was pretty good, his sons and grandsons were not. And you can follow the whole sordid affair in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 24, or 23 as well, but the point is it starts there with Josiah in 22, and it ends with his descendant Zedekiah who winds up uh, in exile, uh, taken away by the Babylonians. And so we've got roughly maybe 18 years or so of pretty terrible, awful, messy, disgusting, God hating. Throughout Jeremiah's 40 years of ministry, it would be roughly half would have been pretty good under Josiah, and then the next half would have been atrocious under his descendants. And that is why God chooses Jeremiah to be his messenger. And we're going to see something of God's sovereignty again in verses 4 and 5. God chooses Jeremiah to be his messenger to whom? Well, to the nations as well as to Judah. If you can look in your Bibles there in verses 4 and 5, again, we're seeing there's no limit to God's sovereignty. God chooses this one guy who seems to be fairly insignificant, Maybe a bit young and inexperienced, but God uses him to be a prophet not just to Judah, but also to the nations. Why? Because all nations everywhere are under God's authority. They're answerable to him. And we're going to see how much of the book of Jeremiah later on in chapters 46 to 51 are devoted to Jeremiah and his oracles against these other nations. But as God chooses Jeremiah, he's a bit reluctant, isn't he? Jeremiah seems to claim that he's not the man for the job. Oh, God, I'm not sure you know what you're doing. I'm young. I'm not very good at speaking. I'm, I'm, why are you choosing me? There's got to be someone better out there. But what does God say? Uh, it's not as if God says, oh, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point. Maybe I'll choose someone else. No, he actually reassures him. Uh, And even though he is young and even though he isn't very experienced and maybe he's not very good at speaking, do you know what? That's nothing new, is it? Guess what? God has a habit of picking such people. God has used other people as his leaders and as his messengers who were equally inexperienced and poorly articulate. Uh, Have a look here. and uh, God has chosen people such as Moses. And what was Moses' issue at the burning bush when he speaks to God? Oh, God, I'm not good at speaking. And what does Jeremiah say? Oh, God, I'm not good at speaking, as if that was an excuse. God has already chosen Moses, who wasn't very good at speaking. So I'm sorry, Jeremiah, that's not an excuse. That's no good. Well, okay, well, maybe I'm too young. I, I, I'm not experienced enough. I'm only very young. Well, guess what? God chose David. Equally, the youngest in his family, he was pretty much insignificant and sent out the back to look after sheep. When the prophet comes to anoint the next king, Jesse doesn't even bring David out because there's no way it's going to be that kid. But who does God choose? David. And so we have a similar kind of thing here. God has chosen someone who perhaps is unexpected. And we see a similar, not exactly same, but a similar kind of thing with Isaiah, who meets God in the throne room and is kind of commissioned to be God's messenger, to take God's message to the people. And so Jeremiah has now the authority to uproot and to tear down, uh, to overthrow, but also to build and to plant. Depending on his message, interesting things will happen because Jeremiah is God's messenger. So he speaks with God's authority, just as messengers would have done in the old days. If you were to bring a message on behalf of somebody, you speak with their authority, not your own. And this is Jeremiah. If God has decided a particular nation will be exalted, it will be raised up, then it will. If God has declared a certain nation will fall and be ruined, then it will. As surely as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, God's word never fails. And so that is what gives Jeremiah the authority. Now, some people today might look at this and say, aha, Uh, somebody who loves and serves God, like Jeremiah, uh, is given the authority to speak God's word into existence and things happen because Jeremiah declares them to be so. And I say that's all nonsense, utter nonsense, and so is the guy on the screen. The only reason that Jeremiah has such authority is because he speaks the word of God. God himself gives Jeremiah the words to use. That is why Jeremiah's declarations come about. Not because Jeremiah has the power to raise up nations or to cause them to fall. Uh, What we're looking at in this instance is this word of faith movement which has taken hold in some circles of Christianity. That we who are God's people get to speak things into existence because we're God's children. We're chosen by God to bring his message to the world and so anything that we declare will happen. Well, no. If Jeremiah decided to declare something other than what God told him, guess what? It's not going to happen, is it? But because he speaks God's word, he is God's messenger, we can be sure that everything Jeremiah says does happen, and it's proven through history to have happened, only because it is God's message, not his Jeremiah has no power of his own. He already acknowledges he's not very good at speaking. He's already acknowledged that he's not very experienced. He's quite young. So it's not Jeremiah who has the power to raise up nations and to cause them to fail. It's God. So if Jeremiah declared health or happiness or a disaster or success or whatever, but if it wasn't what God said, it would be a complete and utter waste. It's God who determines the whole course of human history. Not Jeremiah, not me, not you, and certainly not Kenneth Copeland. God exalts. That's Jeremiah's name. God is in charge of who rises and who falls. Not me, not you, and not some other human. Only God. So that's Jeremiah. He has the authority as God's messenger Chosen, even though he seems not to be a very good choice at first. But God is going to use Jeremiah to show just how great he is, how much authority he has over the whole world. And so we come to his message. Well, what is it then? What is this message? Well, whatever it is, in verses 11 and 12, God is watching and waiting for it to grow. Uh, Where do almonds grow, you might ask? On almond trees, right? So God is saying he's waiting and watching for his word to be fulfilled as sure as almonds grow on almond trees, which is pretty sure, I might add. So God knows exactly what will come to pass. He's in charge of it all. And as he declares a certain event like a disaster will take place, Then it will, as sure as an almond branch will produce an almond. Then we come to this other great image that God uses of a uh, a boiling pot on a hot coal or a fire. If you've ever been camping and you've maybe come a bit unprepared, you could jerry-rig a little billy a bit like this and put it on the coals. But over time, as the coals shift and the wood burns, if you're not careful, the whole pot will tip over. And your toes will be scalded and you'll have a bad time. But this is kind of where God is going. He shows Jeremiah this cooking pot bubbling away, and at the moment it looks like it's okay. But then Jeremiah sees it kind of tilting toward Jerusalem. And if it tilts too far, all the bubbling, boiling hot water is going to engulf Jerusalem like a tsunami. Now, it's not literal. Uh, God is not literally sending a tsunami to Jerusalem. That would be quite the achievement. But that's not what's happening. It's the Gentile nations in verses 15 and 16. The people of the northern kingdoms are coming, and they're going to have their kings set up their thrones in Jerusalem. Their armies will march against the walls of the city. But why? Surely Jerusalem of all places would be safe from God's wrath. Aren't we God's people? Don't we have God's temple in our midst, the people thought? Surely the sight of God's temple, he would never destroy that. And we, God's people, he loves us, he brought us out of Egypt and he put us here in this land. Surely we'll be safe from any kind of natural disaster or invading army. Well, no. And the whole point of this is that even though those things are true, God's people are not living as if they are God's people. So, God will send an army of foreigners to attack the city, and the reason is because of Judah's sin. We get a, a brief summary of why it is that God is angry at them in verses uh, 16 and 17. Uh, they may have been God's people, but they're not acting like it. And the whole problem here is that the people are not worshipping God at all, they're now worshipping other gods. In fact, worshipping idols, the things that their hands have made, burning incense to other gods, something that is explicitly condemned in Exodus chapter 20. Before they even get to the promised land, God has instructed them on how to live when they do get there. What are they doing now in Jeremiah's day? Well, they're completely ignoring everything God told them. Therefore, God's judgment comes on human sin. And it will be Jeremiah who's the one to present this news to the people. This message of impending doom will make Jeremiah pretty unpopular, safe to say. You just have to imagine that your job is to tell the king and all the other officials your time is up. You are about to be destroyed by an invading army. Now, imagine Don't Shoot the Messenger would come into play. Jeremiah is going to be telling people things they do not want to hear. He will not be a popular character, and is it any wonder he gets mistreated, as we hopefully will see later on in the book of Jeremiah. But God's judgment is real. It is coming on human sin, and Jeremiah has the job of bringing this message to the people. And that is why God, in verses 17 to 19, makes him strong and unafraid. In verse 18, the people who hear this message may well fight against Jeremiah, but they will not overcome him. Why? Because of God's mighty power. Knowing God's sovereignty, his foreknowledge and choice of Jeremiah as his prophet, his role of being a prophet to Judah and to the nations comes into play. And God is the one who exalts. God is the one who lifts up and casts down. And God is going to do that with Jeremiah. Even in his darkest days, people will not overcome Jeremiah and he will remain God's messenger, declaring God's message. So where does that leave us all these years, probably about 2,500 years or so later? Well, Jesus comes into play for us, doesn't he? Uh, We know that Jesus is the perfect prophet, going about declaring the kingdom of God is near, people need to repent and turn to God, in the same kind of way as what Jeremiah did. But Jeremiah could only declare the message. He had no power to actually make any of that happen, whereas Jesus does. So Jesus isn't just declaring what God says, he's actually going to make it happen. He is God who does carry out God's plan of salvation for all who turn to him. And when Jesus says, repent and turn to me or face God's wrath, that's not just a message that we need to listen to. It's also something that Jesus himself will accomplish. That Jesus' death on the cross is the one time for all, perfect sacrifice for sin. And now, having offered himself to forgive us as Uh, As our sins needed to be forgiven, we can enter God's kingdom and we get to be his people, his servants, his messengers. But he doesn't leave us alone, does he? He's given us the spirit to work in and through us. And Jesus, we know, is ruling and reigning from heaven uh, as our prophet, priest, and king. So as we go about declaring God's message to others around us, we can be confident that it is not just an empty claim that we have, that it's not just something that we declare and hope for the best, but it is something that we are assured as night follows day. As sure as almond branches produce almonds, what God says will happen, and it will all hinge on Jesus' second coming. And that's why we tell people to repent and turn to Christ because it's Jesus who will ultimately make that decision about who lives and who doesn't in his kingdom. Jesus is the complete package who doesn't just declare God's word but accomplishes it, not only in his first coming but in his second coming. And so as we who recognize the goodness of God and his mercy and grace to us in Jesus... We need to pray and ask God for help as we live now as his messengers, declaring his message to the world. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for your word which teaches us your character, your sovereignty, your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus who doesn't just declare what you say, but in fact brings it about. Lord, saving your people, giving them eternal life, and bringing us into your kingdom as your messengers. Father, help us to live faithfully as your messengers, uh, bringing your message to the world as we tell them to repent and turn to Christ in faith. And Father, we pray that our words will not fall on deaf ears, but instead, Lord, people will hear, repent and believe and turn to you, that they too might join your kingdom. Father, we pray that we too will be excited by this great prospect, not discouraged that sometimes we fail or are poor at speaking or perhaps inexperienced. Help us to take comfort from Jeremiah. Lord, you've used him. Father, use us too, we pray. Amen.